Hello and welcome to another episode, some another free-flowing episode where I do have some notes prepared, but they're kind of allow me to flow wherever I want to go with it. I don't know if I'm going to release this on the bonus episode feed yet or the main episode feed, so wherever you're listening, you'll you'll know for <laughs> for sure. Uh, but yeah, we're going to cover some psychology, uh, the the like consciousness and the unconscious. It's, it's a topic I always find myself coming back to. You know, it's around consciousness and the unconsciousness and why. I think it's because I enjoy, probably because I enjoy my spending my time overthinking things, I suppose. I don't, I don't really know for certain, uh, but I hope you find it helpful to uh, think about this in, in this way. Uh, yeah, but as always, you can check out the link below to get my more written stuff. Um, you can check out the A Philosopher's Stone stub, sub stack where you can get the bonus episode feed, the main feed, my writings, news, updates, all that stuff, basically all my forms of content. Um, yeah, you can use that link below. Uh, and yeah, it helps support the show. You can get my dream analysis stuff, uh, my fiction stuff, all that in the link below. So check that out if you want to help me spend more time on this. But yeah, let's enter the labyrinth. Okay, so to get this started today, I do want to start off with a nice little quote that I read recently from David Bohm from Wholeness in the Implicit Order. And it, it's The quote goes, I would say that in my scientific and philosophical work, my main concern has been with understanding the nature of reality in general and of consciousness in particular as a coherent whole, which is never static or complete, but which is an unending process of movement and unfoldment, close quote. So the last word, unfoldment, because I've used the phrase of like the unfolding of your, of your consciousness and we are constantly unfolding this unfolding sense of self, this unfolding uh, of like new understandings of ourselves that we compact into a new sense of self, that constant process I think we do. And I think we all kind of know this deep down if we never really thought about it this way. We kind of know we're this constantly changing self. Sometimes we want to maybe tell ourselves that we're not this changing self and that we're this stagnant thing that we're slowly understanding and, and coming into a true essence of. But I think deep down we kind of know that it's this constant unfolding throughout life, that we have this kind of constant sense of, of uncertainty around that sense of self that we create for ourselves. Uh, but yeah, I sometimes like to imagine our sense of self as this as a almost like this, uh, let's say our conscious self being this puzzle that constantly has new pieces being introduced, you know, life pieces, you know, uh, like new things happen in your life. Maybe you move, new new relationships come into play. Uh, maybe tra like traumatic events around life, personal life, the world, external inputs, external changes in the world, uh, symbolism, new uses of language, new understandings of language, all these, just all the inputs you can imagine. You experience new art. All these things create this constant flowing of new introduction of pieces or influencing the pieces that you already have in place around your sense of self. You, the you that is a puzzle. And some pieces fade away or fall away into like this, I kind of imagine this this puzzle as this like floating puzzle right 
And these pieces are falling away to be replaced by new pieces. And much of those pieces represent a sort of fiction we create for ourselves. So we become this puzzle that is constantly falling away while simultaneously being rebuilt. We're meshing this puzzle together. Because sometimes I don't even like using puzzle because it's like we're imagining these pieces perfectly fitting into place. But it's not even the case. It's more of like this smashing and forcing of a puzzle to become a sense of a coherent whole. But the coherent whole is often this fiction that we've meshed together and hope we can keep it together long enough to operate within the world, right? So the kicker is maybe imagine the puzzle as floating. You can rarely see what is moving the puzzle pieces, you know, those things that are moving in and out. As in, like, as in the sense of where they're coming from. So there's these many unconscious layers beneath the puzzle. And it's this unconscious symbolism that I enjoy exploring. You know, uh, like, like I said earlier, kind of like this influence of external inputs in life that we experience every day. Even, even the smallest mundane things have this influence on us. And we don't even fully realize how these external inputs are influencing us. We just kind of know in this essence, in this sense that they're influencing us. So the way language, objects, you know, and agreed upon symbols influence our sense of self. You know, the systems we have around us, the systems we have in place, the people in our lives, all this stuff, and constantly, constantly influencing us. The films you consume, the books you consume, all this stuff, right? And I think many might see let's say me, let's take me personally, if you've been listening to me for a while or, or reading my stuff or whatever, as having this very uh, mystical belief in the unconscious. But I don't think I really do. I think I kind of purposely lean into the more mystical side because one is fun. I think it's a creative avenue. Uh, and it's interesting to see how the mind is pulled towards meaning and feeling that pull. I enjoy that aspect. And I think some people interpret me kind of agreeing more with this Jungian-esque belief in how the unconscious operates. Because I think Jung had this very, almost like seeing the unconscious as this, as this god, as this mystical uh, playing field, a place that almost like exists in some physical, mystical form, in some sense. And... And I mean, part of the way I, I make money is dream interpretation and analysis. So I, I've, I enjoy leaning into that stuff. But I think I have a more like Jacques Lacanian view, the psychoanalyst that came after Jung. But I see an importance of adding a mystical flair to it because, and maybe I'm just gaslighting myself <laughs> in some weird sense into a more mystical perspective around it. But I view dreams as this as this these little unhindered creative endeavors that your mind is constantly doing, whether you're sleeping or whether you're meditating, whatever it is, these kind of unhindered creative symbolic images come about. And it's, it's fun. I'll admit, it's just, it's, sometimes it's just fun. It's interesting, you know, where your mind is simply like letting your creativity come in uncapped. But I mostly see the unconscious as these workings that our mind uses that are that we're not aware of probably because we need to conserve brain power to help us you know focus on other tasks for survival and and so we don't get stuck in our head and go insane 
So we have to simplify our brain processing. You know, so we're not constantly having these images being created because that would <laughs> that's it's a lot of work. It's hard to then accurately analyze the world for the basis of survival. Yeah, we share, but the key is, I think, is we share in these like symbolic and linguistic communications. We operate in this way that we create these intersubjective practices around these forms of communication that creates an essence of the unconscious. So we have these agreed upon symbols that we don't, we're not even fully aware that we're agreeing upon. It's just intersubjective agreement. This, this, like when you, it's almost like you listening, you, I'm assuming that you have this conscious experience going on. And you also have this sense of an unconscious experience going on. Same with me. And I'm assuming that about you. And that, that agreement, that layer there of how you're listening to this and hearing my communication and have this understanding of what the words mean that I'm using. But within that, in between, that gap between us is this intersubjective agreement going on constantly, this communication. And we use symbols. We use objects uh, to constantly do that. You know, it's like, it's like imagine like little subcultures and counterculture and cultural groups, even within, say, like the U.S. culture. You know, if, if you want to be part of a certain group, maybe it's a, a philosophical perspective, a psychological perspective. It's almost like you're using these symbols, like books can be symbols. You know, if, if you have a certain philosophical perspective, you're supposed to have read these certain books to make you part of the in-group of the said perspective, you know? It's kind of like the the names I drop, the drop name dropping like Lacan and Deleuze and Gutiari, that is going to create an essence around me, an intersubjective communication of my belief system, my world perspective, how I view mysticism. It is creating this language there, this messaging outward of me, you know, and we are constantly doing that. Uh, and where, where was I going with this? Where it's like, the reason I find that so interesting though is I think we're constantly, that's where the unfolding aspects comes into play because we're constantly doing that. We're constantly creating this fiction around ourselves and creating in, in creating these tools for ourselves to communicate our sense of essence. Uh, and what I find interesting is like the experience of noticing that fiction taking place, that created fiction of yourself taking place that you're never really certain of. You know, you kind of have this sense of this unconscious layer going on that you yourself is uncovering, where you yourself are creating a persona for yourself to interact with as, you know, you present a persona to the external world. So there's this constant intersubjective, like, interplay going on. Uh, and that's where I, I heard, I forget the name because I know Lacan kind of, people have connected Lacan to this concept of the, like the singularity of the self. And I'm kind of using my own explanation of it, which is what this podcast is for. It's kind of me as I learn, I'm trying to present what I learn and putting it into my own words in a sense, but these constant singularities of the self. So you have this puzzle being created of yourself. The puzzle is almost like a labyrinth. This is why I kind of 
like the concept of the labyrinth. I even have like a tattoo with this symbolism in mind where you have this labyrinth of yourself that you get, you feel like you're getting to the center of yourself, this true essence of you. But when you get to that true essence, the essence falls away. And it's like you fall away into a new puzzle, a new labyrinth of an essence. So you're constantly having these new essences of yourself being created and falling away into a new essence that needs to be uncovered and unlayered. And yeah, if that makes sense, where we're constantly doing that process. And these singularities of the self, you're, you're constantly still also having this horizon of never truly getting to that center because before you get to the center of a possibly fictional center of yourself, it falls away into a new one. And that, that is constantly, that is the constant unfolding. We're constantly discovering new pieces of our puzzle and that we're trying to mesh together. And one, as soon as we think we have this coherent whole, whether it's external or internal or a mix of both, it begins falling away. And yeah, that that's something I've been thinking about lately in kind of this understanding of the self. Uh, so yeah, I hope I, I hope I left you with something to think about. But yeah, that concludes this episode. It's time for you to get the fuck out my lap. Huh?